you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. So by that hand clap, I'm assuming that that means that you're going to get behind me tonight. I know that it's a Wednesday night, but I do believe that I am bringing a word from the Lord to this congregation. How many of you were here just a few weeks ago at our vision service? I believe was that March or March, January 22nd. Show of hands, several of you were here. On that vision Sunday, our pastor brought to us the theme for 2022, and that theme, of course, is others, Um, reaching out to others, not so much that introspective look and focus, but focusing on others. And on that Sunday night, he took his text from Exodus, the 17th chapter, verses 8 through 13, and he preached the strength of others. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, when he took his text, My initial thought was, what are you doing? You stole my text. Because I had already been studying for this message, and I had to stop and think, did I share it with him, or have I kept that to myself? And I realized that I had not told him at that point what I was working on or what the Lord had laid on my heart. And so I found it no coincidence But I found it confirming that God was wanting to speak something to his church, CLC in particular. And so tonight, I am going to be taking my text from Exodus 17, starting with verse 8 through verse 14. And the title of my message tonight is Rehearse Your Praise for Others. Rehearse Your Praise for Others. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, 
and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, meaning the Lord is my banner. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands and just ask the Lord not only to anoint his word, but to open our hearts and our minds to receive from him tonight. Lord, we worship you. We're so grateful, God, for the opportunity to be in your house. God, I know that you have given me a word for this congregation. I ask tonight, God, that you would anoint your word, that you would anoint your servant, God, not for my glory, Lord, but for your glory, that you will be lifted up, God, that your word would have its perfect work and intended purpose. God, open our hearts and our minds to receive from you. And we're going to be quick tonight to give you the glory and to give you the honor and to give you the praise because you are a good God who causes us to be victorious. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. How many of you know that there is power in telling your story? All of us have a story to tell. Some of us have stories of hurts and disappointments, stories of pain and struggle and battles that we have fought. And most of us have stories of victories that have been won. I have found that everyone likes to share their story. Some people find telling their story healing. Some even find it therapeutic. As they work through their story, they are able to see clearly. How many of you have ever heard the saying that when you look back, all of a sudden your vision is 20-20 because you can see things clearly? But some people find it therapeutic. They're able to see mistakes that they made along the way. They're able to uh, see the lessons that needed to be learned and lessons that they learned. Oftentimes, they can clearly see the hand of God in their lives. And they can see the hand of God as he helped to maneuver them through situations, through tests and trials. Others are insightful when telling their story, able to see how far they've come from where they began versus where they are now. Sunday night, Brother Dylan was up preaching, and he, he started by singing some of the old songs, and he told us that we needed to hear a good old-fashioned testimony service. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Testimony services make me a nervous wreck because I'm always scared to death what's going to be said. But I looked over, and, and Sister Jamie and Sister Lyric were standing up here by Jace, and I, Jamie looked at me like, okay, and I said, cancer healed. And she looked at me, and many of you don't know, but Sister Jamie also battled breast cancer. And she looked at me, and she said, yeah, cancer healed. 
And Sister Lyric looked at me and she said, what is a testimony? And I simply said, it's when you talk about where you were before the Lord got a hold of you and where he has brought you to. It is your story. It is your testimony. A lot of times when people are telling their story, they come to understand that it was their story that developed in them character, and it developed integrity, and it developed a walk with God that they never had before. I can tell you that through my journey, I have found that I have grown closer to God, and I'm able to hear his voice a whole lot clearer than I did when I first began because it's my story and it's my testimony. There's an old gospel song that I remember being saying that says, when I look back over my life and I think things over, I can truly say, I have been blessed. I have a testimony. Can anybody else testify in this place that God has blessed you and kept you and delivered you and set you free? In 1963, Dr. Robert Butler, founder of the International Longevity Center, coined the term life review after researching the value of seniors reminiscing and reflecting on their life and their story. And he wrote this, I was struck some years back by the fact that older people tend to review their lives. It struck me how important it was for people to come to grips with the kind of life that they had led and with the story that they have. There is growing research that says that it is evident that by pra the practice of sharing and recording your story is beneficial. While not formally recognized as psychological therapy, Rehearsing your story is powerful medicine for those who are involved in the process, not only for those who are telling their story, but for those that are hearing that story. Nobody knows your story better than you. Only you know what you have been through. You alone understand what got you past the pain that you faced. It takes your perspective on your story for others to comprehend what it took for you to go from defeat to victory. Your viewpoint can cause others to grasp what it takes to be an overcomer. Only you know what God has done for you, and others need to know what God has done for you too. Only you know what God delivered you from. And others need to hear of your deliverance because the story of your deliverance will give them hope that they too can be delivered. Only you know how God saved you and there are others that need to be saved too. Only you know why you praise the way that you do and others need to learn how to praise too. So don't keep your story to yourself. 
don't keep your testimony to yourself, but it's time to rehearse your story and rehearse your testimony. If you are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony, that tells me there is power in sharing your story and sharing your testimony. I've come to tell you tonight that it's time to shout your testimony from the mountaintops. It's time to testify to others of the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of the Lord. If you have ever been delivered, if you've ever been set free, if you've ever been healed, if God has saved you from sin, why don't you go ahead and testify of it by giving God praise for what he has done. In our text, we read of a battle between Amalek and the children of Israel. According to scholars, this battle took place only a couple of months after their deliverance from Egypt. In Exodus 13, 17, and 18, we read where God intentionally led the children of Israel through the wilderness and the Red Sea instead of leading them through the land of the Philistines, although the land of the Philistines would have put them closer in their journey to the promised land. God told Moses, I'm going to lead them through the wilderness and the Red Sea instead of the land of the Philistines, lest preadventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Understand that the children of Israel had been oppressed in Egypt. They had been in bondage in Egypt, but they had never warred in Egypt. They were captives in Egypt. They were bound in Egypt. They were vexed in Egypt, but they did not fight their way out of Egypt. They were greater in number, the scripture tells us. And they could have united together and overcome the Egyptians, but they never battled for their deliverance. What is it about warfare that creates war fear in the lives of the children of God? Just for the fun of it, I'm going to say it one more time because Brother Duggar's not here to tell me to say it again. But what is it about warfare that creates a fear of war deep down in our hearts? Why is it that the people of God, when faced with war warfare, are so easy to give in and to want to turn back where they came from and where God had delivered them from? The Bible says that the Lord went before the children of Israel in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and a pillar of fire to light the night sky. But when presented with circumstance and with the threat of the enemy, the children of Israel said, would to God that we would have stayed in Egypt. You brought us out here, Moses, for us to die. The Lord gave Moses specific directions to tell the children of Israel 
to camp between Egypt and the Red Sea. And it was here when the people looked up and they saw Pharaoh and his army coming for them. The Bible says that they were afraid and that they cried out to the Lord and said to Moses, have you taken us to the wilderness to die? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Somebody is calling my phone and it showed up on my iPad. That is not a good thing and I don't know how to disconnect that. But they said it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to have died in the wilderness because they feared the battle. In response to their fear and unbelief, Moses responded with faith, fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. The Bible says that the angel of God, which went before them in a pillar of cloud, moved and went behind them and stood between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of the Israel. And the Bible says that it became a cloud in darkness to the Egyptians, yet it was light to Israel to show them the way. We know the rest of the story, that God caused the sea to ro roll back and for the Israelites to cross over on dry ground. And when the enemy attempted to pursue them, God caused the sea to swallow them up and every one of them perished in the Red Sea. The Bible says that Moses and the children of Israel sang a song of praise unto the Lord. And they said, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed greatly. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has come, become my salvation. Jehovah is my God. I will exalt him. Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and led the, woman, the women in praise and in dance and in song. The enemy has been destroyed, they sang. Jehovah has triumphed. Jehovah is my deliverance. The children of Israel thought that they had seen it all with the plagues in Egypt, but the waters rolled back and muddy ground dried up. Their praise must have been thunderous. Can you imagine all of the children of Israel singing out praise to the God that had just delivered them? The Bible says that from this miraculous victory, that they went and they camped in the wilderness of Shur for three days. And there they found bitter waters that they were not able to drink. The children of Israel murmured against Moses and asked, what shall we drink? The Lord shows Moses a tree that when he cast the branches of the trees into the water, the waters were made sweet so that Israel could find refreshing for their thirst. Next, they journeyed to Elam, to the wilderness of sin. And again, the whole congregation murmured against Moses and Aaron, 
saying, would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And yet again, God miraculously provided for them manna and quell to sustain their daily needs. Over and over, they went from victory to murmuring. They went from deliverance to complaining. They went from experiencing God's provision to forgetting what God had done, never giving God praise and never thanking him for what he had done. I've laid this foundation tonight to get us to our text in Exodus, the 17th chapter. We find where the children of Israel journeyed from Elam to Rephidim, and once again, there was no water for them to drink. The scripture says that the people thirsted for water and murmured against Moses, saying, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Is the Lord among us or not? What a dumb question. Is the Lord among us or not? They, uh, I lost my place. Dear Lord, help me. This is when you get out of practice, isn't it? They asked the dumbest question when they said, is the Lord with us or not? After everything they had experienced, after everything they had seen, they had the audacity to say, is the Lord among us or not? But then notice what they did. They pulled their children into the mix. The Bible says that the Lord commanded Moses to smite the rock and water flowed from it for them, for their children, and for their herds. Over and over, the Lord performed the miraculous before the eyes of the children of Israel. Over and over, he provided for them their daily needs. He led them through the wilderness with a cloud and with fire. Not one move was ever made by the children of Israel without a direct word from the Lord. Daily, they experienced the miraculous. By now, they had to have found rest from their taskmasters and from their labors in Egypt. The wounds on their back from their taskmasters had to have begun to heal. Their fears of Pharaoh and his army surely had drowned in the Red Sea and had become a distant memory. There was no question that God was with them and more able to deliver them. How could they even ask, is the Lord among us or not? The Lord was accustomed to their murmuring and complaining, but now they tempted the Lord. They put their kids in the story. They used their children as a pawn in, the, in their murmurings. They insinuated that the future generations would die in the wilderness. They implied that the potential of their children and their children's children would perish 
in a desert place. Let me assure you tonight, no desert is dry enough to stop the plan of God. There is no enemy that is strong enough to subdue the purpose of God. There is no devil in hell that can snuff out the church. No principality can have dominion over the people of God. God will have a people. God will accomplish his plan. God will have a church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church will be victorious. You might as well go ahead and put a praise on it. Sing your song to the Lord. Dance before the Lord. Rehearse your praise for the victory. You need to practice your praise until you convince yourself. Your children need to see your praise. Others need to see your praise. I don't know about you, but I feel a, a shout of victory coming from deep within because I understand praise is our weapon. Give the Lord a shout of praise. In verse 18 of the 17th chapter, we find that Amalek fought with Israel in Rephidim. News had spread in the region of God's miraculous delivery of the Israelites. It had been noised abroad that the God of the Israelites had parted the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. Surrounding countries had to have seen the glow of the pil pillar of fire in their night sky. The, re the region was shook with fear that the God of Israel could provide water from a rock in the desert, that he could rain bread from the sky, that the God of Israel could plague an entire nation on behalf of his people. They knew that the God of Israel was a serious threat. But there was one thing that the region was banking on. They had heard what God had done for the children of Israel. But they also understood that Israel was inexperienced in fighting a war. Israel hadn't fought for the first thing. Everything had been handed to them. They murmured and complained. Moses went to God on their behalf, and God provided no fight, no battle, no praise, no altar to this point. They were blessed in their coming and in their going. They wanted for nothing. They fought for nothing. Don't be foolish enough to believe that the enemy doesn't notice a church that doesn't know how to war. That's what he is banking on. He is banking on a church and the children of God being afraid of war and not knowing how to war. It's important to understand 
that Rephidim was the only oasis in the region. It was a sanctuary and a refuge. God was providing a place of refreshing for them, and they were okay with it being handed to them. The Bible says that the Amalekites came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. The Israelites had to assemble an army in a place of refuge. They had never been in this position before. Verse 9 tells us that Moses said to Joshua, choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. This was the first mention of Joshua in the scripture. Scholars believe that Joshua had to have been about 45 years old at this point and understand that Joshua's beginning was in Egypt. He had worked along with the other children of Israel under the taskmasters. He had never served in an army. He had never led a battalion. He had never commanded ranks of soldiers. But something about Joshua had to have stood out to Moses. Moses had to have seen something about him that said that he had military ability in him. There must have been a fight in Joshua that was evident to Moses. The scripture says that Joshua did as Moses said and assembled an army and fought with Amalek. Moses knew that Rephidim was the training ground for warfare from, for the children of Israel. Moses recognized that this was a change in season for the children of Israel. Moses understood that they were headed to a new dimension so that they could take new ground and new territory. Moses knew that they could not win the war without the Lord fighting for them. He understood their ability and lack of experience. But there was something else that Moses knew. Yes, the Lord must fight for them. Yes, he knew that they needed to assemble themselves for battle, to unify together for battle. But he also knew that in order to win the battle, there was something else that must be taken onto the battlefield. The Bible says that while Joseph, or, uh, Joshua fought Amalek, that Moses took companions. He took Aaron and he took her to the top of the hill, and he held up his hands with the rod of God so that Israel would prevail. As pastor so powerfully said on that vision Sunday, Moses didn't go to the high ground of war alone, but he took with them trusted companions who also knew how to war. But they didn't know how to war with their hands, but they knew how to war in the spirit. He took Aaron with him, who God had already ordained as a companion for Moses. But he also took her to the top of the mountain. We don't know much about her, but this is what I do know about her. Her was from the tribe of Judah, and Judah meant praise. Moses took her because he understood 
that if God was going to cause them to be victorious in battle, that praise had to be involved. And here's the reason why praise had to be involved. Because praise always precedes victory. It always precedes victory. God had promised that he would be with them. He had given them his word saying, I am the Lord that delivereth thee. There was no question that God would fight for them. But Moses knew that something else had to be taken into battle. And that something else was praise. How did he know this? He had been raised in Pharaoh's palace. How did he understand that praise needed to be taken to battle? You see, there was a precedence that had proceeded before Moses in his lineage. It was set by his great, great, great grandfather, Abraham. And Paul wrote about it in the book of Romans. There had been a promise given to Abraham and to his seed. Abraham walked in faith according to the promise that had not yet been fulfilled. He hoped in things that could not be seen. The scripture says that Abraham was not weak in faith. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And here was the key, giving glory to God in advance. Let me help you with this. The name Moses means to pull out of adversity. He learned how to pull out of adversity because his father, Amram, taught him because his name meant friend of God. And Amram learned how to be a friend of God because his father, Koath, means the beginning of majesty. And Koath walked in the beginning of majesty because his father, Levi, was the beginning of the priesthood. And Levi became the beginning of the priesthood because his father, Jacob, or Israel, means God fights for me. I will not let you go, he said, until you bless me. God fought for Israel because his father, Isaac, was one who, was, who rejoices. And Isaac rejoiced because his father, Abraham, meant God is exalted. How do you pull out of adversity? Exalt God. How do you pull out of adversity? Rejoice. How do you pull out of adversity? Be a friend of God. How do you pull out of adversity? Praise in advance before the victory has come. How do you do it? You praise. You praise. You praise. God fights your battle. You praise him in advance. God goes before you. You praise in advance. He does the miraculous. You praise in advance. We are overcomers through our praise. Give God a mighty shout of praise.
Once the battle was won, God told Moses, write these things down. Brother Jeremy, get you a miracle journal and write them down. Don't forgive it. Remember what it took to win the battle. And when you pull out of adversity, when you are victorious, the scripture went on to say, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Recite your story. Go line by line how you went from defeat to victory. Let others know the steps that it took for you to defeat the enemy. Make sure that they know that while God was fighting for you, that there was still a responsibility to lift your hands in praise. Drive the home point, the, the, the point home to Joshua, the Lord was saying, that praise was the key. Rehearse it to Joshua. Moses chose Joshua to assemble the men to war, and he rehearsed the story in the ears of Joshua. And as a result, it would be Joshua who would be his successor. It would be Joshua who would say, we are well able to take the land. The giants are no threat for the children of God. It would be Joshua who would lead the children of Israel to march around the walls of Jericho. And it would be Joshua who would instruct the priest to blow the trumpets. And it would be Joshua who would tell the people to shout because God had given us this city. It would be Joshua who would later lead the children of Israel into battle where God caused the sun to stand still. Because Moses rehearsed his story and his praise in the ears of Joshua, Moses was telling Joshua, this is how Jehovah God brings you out of, out of adversity. And as a result, Joshua's name declared, God is my deliverance. Because Moses rehearsed his story, Joshua was able to say, God is my deliverance. I was taught a long time ago, when you get in the battle and when you face adversity and when the enemy is staring you in your face, that you don't give up and you don't tuck tail and you don't run and you don't hide, but you square your shoulders, you dig your heels in, and you point your toes, and by golly, you better praise because God is fighting for you. God will cause you to be victorious. Hallelujah. You may be fighting the battle of a lifetime. You may be weary. You may be weak and you may be tired. But I've come tonight to rehearse my story for you. I've come tonight to rehearse my praise for you. I know what it is to be surrounded by the enemy. I know what it's like to feel discouraged. I have looked fear in the eye in the middle of the night. 
I have felt death looming. I have been sick. I have been tired. And I have been overwhelmed. But I stood in this very pulpit and declared to this congregation that when I was able, and when I was able to be in the house of the Lord, that I would be here. I may not have felt like it, but I declared that I would be sitting in that seat right there. And I would be worshiping, and I would be praising God, and I was not going to let the enemy get the best of me. I'm too stubborn for it. And you know what I did? I did just that. Not for a show, not for my glory, but because my name is Annette. And Annette means God has extended me grace. to you tonight that if you will lift your hands in praise, if you will shout to God for the victory in the middle of your battle, before the victory has been won, while the storm rages, while you are engaged in spiritual warfare, you will win the battle. You will be victorious. Praise is how we fight our battles. Somebody needs to go ahead and just rehearse your praise right now. Go on. Practice it. Exercise your praise. Train others to praise. And then when you think that's all you can do, go ahead and do it again until the victory comes. And until the battle is won. I am not telling everybody that they have to shout. I'm not telling everybody that they have to dance. I'm not telling anybody that they got to take a lap around the building. But I am telling you that if I truly believe that God was going to fight for me and that it was uh, dependent upon my praise, I would do whatever it took. I would crazy praise it until the victory comes because God has given us the victory. God has given us the victory. God is causing us to be victorious. No sickness too great. No battle too hard. Nothing that is too hard for God. He is more than able to deliver. He is more than able to cause you to be victorious. Why don't you go ahead and practice your praise? There may be somebody that needs to see your praise. Go ahead and re rehearse. 